1: It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini, along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling Text Line, 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts. Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly.
2: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, the last show for Lauren Tate and I this year.
3: This year. (laughs) Don't scare me.
2: (laughs) Although I've I've not received my new contract yet, have you?
3: (laughs) I've never had a contract.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Me neither, so I guess we just show up until... Somebody says don't show up.
3: I made a deal with them a long time ago. I said, when I don't want to do it, I quit. When you don't want me, I quit.
2: There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Got some time for open line today. We've also got some guests lined up for you on this uh, New Year's Eve. Howard Griffith will join us in about 15 minutes from Phoenix. He's out there working with uh, BTN. They've got a pre-bowl show uh, going on uh, today for those uh, two Big Ten teams that are in action in the playoffs. We'll talk more about that coming up. At uh, the bottom of the first hour, Neil Price is the radio voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. He
3: does a good job, Steve. I'm glad you got him. Yes. he, he uh, He's outstanding. We'll talk he'll he'll you. tell you what we're up against.
2: <laughs> he um, worked at the University of Kentucky. so mm-hmm. that, uh, that We're made, not going to hold that against him, are we? we uh, he and I had a little, uh, little common ground there to talk about. Jeremy Warner will join us uh, from Tampa, where he's covering uh, the bowl game. He'll be with us at 10 o'clock, and then Tom Ackerman will be with us at 10.30. Again, the phone line's open. We've got a call already from Allen in Montrose. Go ahead, Alan.
4: Morning, guys. Uh, what can you tell us about the new quarterback? He, did he play very much as a freshman for Ole Miss?
3: Well, he didn't play much either year. Uh, he's been there two years, but he has three years of eligibility left and uh, he's got a strong arm and he's got good speed. Here's uh, his. Th- those are the two uh, physical attributes.
2: His two year stats in limited action 28 for 54, 317 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions.
3: It's a lot of interceptions for that few passes, isn't it? It and its But, uh, you know, uh, I think that uh, Iowa thinks they got their guy in McNamara. Uh, Purdue thinks they got their guy in, in Dart. Um, Card, rather. Uh, I get Dart and Card mixed up. But Card is a is new quarterback over there. And, and uh, we've, we've got Altmire. And Altmire and Card were here at the same time visiting. And I don't know which one Illinois preferred. There was talk a lot. That that uh, the Texan card might be the guy, but uh, we uh, our coaches have done a lot of uh, work on this, and they feel like they got the guy they wanted.
4: Uh, is he going to be able to beat out any of our other quarterbacks we got on campus already? Uh, assuming they probably think so.
3: Oh yeah, I mean yes, yes they think so, yes. But uh, Le- uh, Larry and Swanson will both be competing with him this spring. Swanson's coming in. Larry's already here, and Alt- Altmire will be here in another couple weeks.
4: Uh, yesterday, uh, I caught the tail end of the town 3 sports show. It mentioned uh, about a coach or player from Wisconsin or something about that. Well,
3: we got a new assistant uh, backfield coach, yes.
4: Okay, he's from Wisconsin?
3: Formerly, yeah. He played for, yeah. for yeah. Coach
2: Bielma, Antonio oh, okay. Antonio Fanellis. He was a defensive back, played with Aaron Henry in that same defensive backfield.
5: Okay. Aaron,
2: Aaron Henry, of course, now the defensive coordinator.
4: Okay, that's all I got, guys. All right,
2: appreciate it. Happy New Year. You
4: too.
2: Nine oh four. Big Ten is three and zero in big uh, in bowl games yeah, so far. Yeah, good start.
3: You know, I can't figure out Minnesota, Steve. We, we we don't seem to have much trouble with them. Illinois beats them each year, and yet they've. Uh, Won a lot of games both years, and uh, Flex doing a good job up there. He's he hadn't figured out how to handle Illinois, but he handles everybody else. And then just the opposite, uh, Purdue. We can't handle. We can handle everybody else. who can't handle Purdue.
2: Wisconsin uh, got it kicked off earlier in the week with a win over Oklahoma State, 24-17. Minnesota beat Syracuse, 28-20. Maryland yesterday beat uh, North Carolina State, 16 to 12. Bit of an upset, I guess, because well, Carolina State was uh, ranked.
3: A lot of defense there. I it mean, was. You, you hold them, you know, They uh, n- not that Maryland did much offensively, but they did get to 16, with 16 to 12 it was kind of an odd score. It is. And and I think they gave up a lot of yards, but they just didn't give up touchdowns.
2: And Mike Loxley got a mayonnaise bath, if you will. Or
3: <laughs> would you agree to that, Steve? <laughs> sure you would.
2: I suppose. But <laughs> what are you gonna do? They they covered him up pretty good. He took off his jacket, then put on a windbreaker, then put on a big oversized hat, and,
3: <laughs> and he took the hat off and wound up getting it right on the head. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that looked better to me than uh, one of the cutaways I saw the a, a fan in the stands that took a big old jar of that mayonnaise, mayonnaise. and just chugged it if, if you could chug mayonnaise. He had he had the whole jar. <laughs> in I like
3: the guy says. I like mayonnaise on my spaghetti. (laughs) Okay. Well I can take a little mayonnaise, but a little mayonnaise.
2: I'm not a I'm not a mayonnaise fan. I I like
3: it a little bit on on a ham sandwich. I got
2: (laughs) Coming up today, Iowa plays at Kentucky. That's the early game. That's in the music city bowl in Nashville, eleven o'clock. Any players left for those two teams to play in that game? We're not a quarterback. No quarterbacks, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, no quarterbacks and of course. I uh, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem. To, the, the, the players that don't show up when the game starts, it, it's just all forgotten. Right. I mean, w- we're going to miss Chase Brown. We're going to miss the two defenders in the secondary with a spoon and, and, and Brown. But, you know, when the game starts, you just have to play it. And, and it's just like a guy getting injured. I mean, opt out's like an injury. They're not there. And you have to. We're going to see whether Strain and Scott. Xavier Scott, the young guys can play those cornerback positions now. They they're, they're going to be the 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 likely uh, candidates next season to play there and they have had some uh, experience this year, but boy oh boy is that a big drop off from Witherspoon. I I think Witherspoon might be Steve, and and I I this grew on me during the course of the season. I think he might be the best cornerback we've ever had. Have we ever had a better cornerback than Witherspoon?
2: Not in one season for sure. I mean, he he's been good. He's been, but he's really he made a huge j- yeah. jump. Yeah,
3: well, I'm count. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about this year. Of course, if yeah. he stuck around another year, right. a fourth year, he'd, be, you know, he'd be. Uh, but he just he, he tackled so hard. he's so and it's it's just so ironic that the two plays that cost Illinois maybe cost him a couple of losses mm-hmm. late in the season. He was the guy that had pass interference and is really questionable calls. I thought least one was in the in the Purdue game. I mean, that was a good interception, and then they just didn't didn't count.
2: The Mississippi State head coach, former defensive coordinator Zach Arnett, spoke. Uh, it might have been last week. I, I saw these comments, and he he was talking about Illinois' season. He said, "I don't think I could get in trouble for criticizing officials from another league." So he did. He said, well, "Illinois had." a team that's playing in the Final Four, down seventeen sixty, whatever it was, late. In the, and a very questionable, wrong, offensive non offensive interference non-call.
3: Are you talking about the pick?
2: It, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: the, the pick completion. Yep. Where, yeah, that's a good play. I mean, you just go out and you have one one receiver block the defender and they have the other guy catch the ball. That's that's a good play. Try it
2: until they call it, Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I asked Martin O'Donnell once. I said, inside that offensive line, is, there, is holding going on on every place? And yeah, but they can't call them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty much the, the way it goes down there. Uh, Michigan is in action this afternoon, 3 o'clock, in the Fiesta Bowl. We'll talk to Howard Griffith about that. And then tonight at 7, Ohio State and Georgia. Michigan is favored over TCU. Georgia is a six point favorite over Ohio State. Those are the semifinal games, if you will, in the uh, four-team football playoffs. So we'll see how those games go. There's a little bit of Big Ten basketball today, no no great games, but uh, Michigan State takes on Buffalo, (coughs) Rutgers and Coppin State, and Wisconsin plays Western Michigan. Did you see who hit that uh, shot that um, beat Michigan the other night for Central Michigan? Reggie Bass. Who was a verbal commit to the University of Illinois at one time?
3: I remember the name. Yep. I didn't know he that. He hit a three-pointer yeah. late. Okay,
2: left-handed three, and Central Michigan goes into Ann Arbor and wins that game.
3: I'm not sure what's going on with the Michigan Wolverines basketball. They're just kind of shaky this season. When I think they were picked as one of the top three teams in the league before the season,
2: they're seven and five. Right I now.
3: think that was probably based so much on Hunter Dickinson being back. But they don't seem to have much guard play around him, and um, it's a tough, it's a tough business in college playing without really good guards and without a center. Now they've got the center, but they just their guard play has been shaky.
2: And I think they had an injury among one of the guards as well that uh, that hurt him a little bit. But still, I mean those are. The- what they call bye games, and yeah, you're supposed, you, to, you're supposed to beat Western Michigan. You, you want to beat everybody else in your state, but you could come up with a half a dozen or so uh, examples of bye games going wrong. Just yeah. ask Iowa, right?
3: I was, I was, uh, boy, they got killed by Nebraska too.
2: They did. That game wasn't as close as the uh, 16 point differential at the end. Nebraska led by 20 uh, most of the time that I was watching. That ended up uh, winning by a count of uh, 66 to 50. So uh, it's not happy in paradise every place, is it?
3: No, it's happy at Notre Dame, though. South Bend's happy. They got past they got South Carolina. Did you see the 100-yard uh, interception return by South Carolina to tie the game late? I did not. 100-yarder. He, t- he caught it in the end zone and ran it all the way back. And, and then uh, Notre Dame got the ball back and scored and won the game.
2: Let's go back to the phones. Steve is with us in Princeton. Hey, Steve. Hey,
4: good morning, guys. And like I said, we're at the end of the year, and uh, no one thought we'd be in a bowl game, but here we are. So it's it's been a good year. I had a question a year or so ago when NIL first came out, there was a representative from the Guardians that was on your show, and they were talking about what Illinois was going to do and so forth. But I remember a comment that he said that we will not be outbid by anybody. Kentucky, you know, and he mentioned a couple other schools, but we will not be outbid by anybody. Well, then I see where this uh, Leary kid's going to Kentucky to play football as a quarterback and his brother's at Illinois. Was that strictly an NIL deal, deal? or was there, uh, you know, the type of offense or what? It's just puzzling to me that some of these kids are leaving programs that are winners, but yet they go somewhere else. Is that just because of NIL money?
3: I think that there are many considerations, and among which – as the ability to play with somebody you want to. Maybe you like the offensive coordinator. Maybe you like the style. Maybe there are a lot of factors. But, yes, the money is a huge part of it. And there's no doubt in my mind, based on what people tell me, that Illinois was outbid by Kentucky for Leary. Now, you know, that I don't have any proof of it, and I shouldn't even probably say it. But, I mean, I, that's what people tell me that should know that we were simply outbid. And, and we're going to be outbid by a lot. Everybody in the SEC is going to outbid us. They're just paying more money for players than we are. Well,
2: but, we've probably got it outbid by Purdue.
3: I think that's right, except that there were a whole lot of considerations there uh, in favor of Purdue for Card. Sure. In, in that they brought in, uh, as you know, I, I, well, here's the interesting thing. Who's in charge of their collective? Drew Brees. Who's who's on their staff now temporarily? Drew Brees. Who's the great one of the greatest quarterbacks? Who who had more yards when he retired than than Brady? Brees. I mean, uh, these are uh, there were a lot of considerations there, and Purdue used them all to get the quarterback that they wanted, and I think Illinois came out with a quarterback that Illinois wanted, but we're not paying him near. All these guys are getting paid now. Uh, it's just a matter and uh, maybe that's not the way that uh, Jeff, that uh, Josh Whitman would put it. He wouldn't say we're getting paid, but they're on the NIL payroll, and it isn't the same payroll that started the collective. This is a different collective. This is the one that Kathleen Knight, who was the fundraiser for the University of Illinois in Chicago, quit her job up there to take over the collective up there. This is a different collective, and it has a lot more money. Than the one downstate, and they're actually negotiating these deals with these players to get them to come back, uh, to get them back on the team. Because not only are you trying to pay uh, players to come in and induce them to come in, you're also trying to induce the players that you have here to stay. And it takes six-figure numbers to get keep some of them.
4: And then the other question I had when you talk about the transfer portal. I see Purdue's backup quarterback who was a four-star quarterback come out of high school. He entered the portal. I think Allen's his last name, but it'll be interesting to see where he ends up or if he can find a spot.
3: Yeah, and uh, by the way, did you see where Purdue's quarterback, Plummer, who played against Illinois, has now transferred back to Louisville to play his final year under Jeff Braum? Uh, Quarterbacks are just bouncing around for all kinds of reasons, and some of them are – so there'll be competition in a lot of these places, but in some cases it's pretty obvious who the quarterback's going to be. Like, for instance, Iowa knows that McNamara's is going to be their quarterback. He played for Michigan two years ago, and and didn't play this year. And I mean, he did play uh, initially, but he didn't uh, he didn't get the he, he uh, didn't get the four games in. So he he didn't he got he saved the year of eligibility this year. He
4: was, he was injured too.
2: Anything else, Steve? Nope. Happy New Year.
4: Enjoy watching the ball game.
2: Okay. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the call. Nine sixteen is the time. We'll take a break. We'll get Howard Griffith on the line to talk some college football. When we come back, stay with us on Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk. The Pella Window Showroom in Champaign specializes in windows and doors. I Pella can help you select the right window and door for your project, whether it's for replacements, remodeling, or new construction. Right now, they ask that you plan further ahead to allow more time to get your windows and doors in stock. Labor and material shortages are causing some extended lead times. Illini Pella, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Pellaofchampaign.com.
6: Illini family, this is Brett Bielema. You've got the home of Illinois football. News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM.
2: Welcome back to the show, nine eighteen, a live IPELO Saturday sports talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. We're with you until eleven o'clock, as usual here on DWS. Let's go out to Glendale, Arizona. Old number twenty nine is standing by out to uh, talk some football with us. Howard Griffith. Good morning, Griff. How are you, my friend?
5: Hey, good morning, guys. How are you?
2: Good. Happy New Year to you. You're on assignment out there, and. Uh, you're going to be covering that uh, Michigan game. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts on Illinois football, the 8-4 season, and uh, back in the uh, New Year's uh, weekend bowl picture for the first time in a while. Your thoughts on uh, year number two for Brett Bielma.
5: Well, I think he's exceeded all expectations. Uh, I know people want to get back to bowl games. And, uh, listen, I understand that they had an the opportunity to, to be in the championship game and they weren't able to close the deal. But you have to be excited about where Coach Bielema has the program going and, you know, things seem to be swinging up. And uh, it's an exciting time to be a Illinois football fan.
2: How do you feel about uh, bowl games uh, as a player? You played in some and uh, and, and had that experience. And, you um, a lot of guys are opting out now. I don't think opting out was a, a thing back in in your day, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a reward for a season. It's also time to get in some some extra practices for the young guys, but uh, mainly, I guess, it's kind of a reward for a successful season.
5: Yeah, uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, you know, we played in in Tampa, uh, had an opportunity to play there, and you know, our first one was the All American Bowl in Birmingham, which is no longer around, but I think if you talk to guys that played on that team, that was probably the most fun we had as far as traveling, but it's an opportunity to, to not only to practice and get better for next year, but to spend more time uh, with your teammates, uh, some guys that are going to be leaving the program, and, and we always enjoyed. it. It was a, a fun time for us to kind of relax uh, for the first part of uh, practice, and uh, as we were preparing for the bowl game, and then, you know, having the opportunity to go out and really compete against some, some great programs. I think Florida was our first one. Then we had a chance, we beat Virginia, and then we played Clemson in our, our my senior year, and that one didn't work out so well, but they were all really enjoyable.
3: Well, Griff, this is Lauren. Good to hear your voice. By the way, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the old meeting between you and Red Grange came up this week. I think Mike Pearson <laughs> was involved in that, and Tell me what, what as you look back on that. What do you think?
5: You know, I, it was truly a, a great opportunity for me um, to have an opportunity to be around. You know, arguably one of the greatest sports figures in the history of the game. When you start to think about, you know, what he meant not only football but to uh, to fans around the around the country. And you think about barnstorming and the way he played the game and. I talked a lot about, you know, just this mythical figure that I was accustomed to seeing in the pictures and the highlights, and finally get an opportunity to see to see him and speak with him and have time to spend with his wife Mugsy. Um, you know, it was a great opportunity, and, and I'm glad I took advantage of it. It's one of those things that I don't know if I really had a great appreciation for it then, but when I go back to Illinois now and I see this ginormous statue. Uh, of the galloping ghosts out on the side of the stadium, for me to just be able to say that I had an opportunity to spend some quality time with them, you know, it's something that, that I'm greatly appreciative of.
3: Well, I'll switch you back over to the game now uh, coming up Monday. Uh, what are your thoughts about going in there with uh, against this air raid with a, with a, a new basic secondary defense?
5: Yeah, it, it's just going to be a challenge, right? It, it's going to be a challenge for them. Um, you know, playing a different defensive style. You don't know how much carryover there'll be uh, from Ryan Walters into this game. So I think we may see a different look from a defense. But one thing for sure is one of the things that really helped this Illinois football team out the entire year was the pressure they were able to uh, put on players or offenses You know, with that front seven. And I think they'll need to be able to do that to be able to have some success.
2: Kind of an interesting uh Competition dynamic forming between Illinois and Purdue, which has always been a good rivalry, (laughs) but uh, now with uh, Ryan Walters going there and a couple of assistants going with him, it'll be uh, an interesting game coming up uh, for years to come, won't it?
5: Yeah, it will be. And, and, you know, this is, I think, one of the things that happens, and Coach Bealem recognizes this as well. You know, when you have good coaches and you're fortunate enough to hire the right people, and uh, you have success on the field, you're going to be you're going to lose. There're going to be opportunities that are going to open up for you know assistant coaches, and you want to keep them as long as you can. But if if you're losing coaches, that's a good thing because that means you're winning. So you're having some success, and you know I I know Brett's been in this all the time, so he, he's got a rolodex of of people that he has in the in in the wings waiting to you know join a staff of his, and this opportunity, Aaron Henry. Uh, who obviously has a, a, a great deal of knowledge, coached him, and had an opportunity to work with him. You know, he knows what he's doing. I don't think we can really question, you know, his football IQ. He's put the program and past programs in really good positions uh, and not expecting to continue to do that.
2: Talking to Howard Griffith, the Big Ten has two teams in the uh, Final Four, both scheduled for action today. Number two, Michigan against number three, TCU, and then later, Ohio State and Georgia. Your take on not only having two teams in the Final Four, how do you think they'll fare today?
5: Yeah, well, I think, you know, having two teams is exciting, but I think the challenge for us as a conference is we've got to go out and win these games, right? Uh, You know, Ohio State's been able uh, to win a national title uh, in this format. Now, having two teams in, we have to be able to take advantage of it. But I really like Michigan's chances. When you think about playing against the scheme that they're playing against defensively from TCU, uh, I think this matches up well for them for what they do. They want to run the football. They want to be physical on the line of scrimmage. And I just don't know how well TCU will be able to hold up to that over the course of four quarters. Now, I think they'll, they're they going to make plays. It's, it's no question about this. It's a very talented team. When We talk about the explosion that they have and the body types that they have at the wide receiver position and tight end position. They're going to make some plays over the long term. With the course of the game, I think this Michigan team will will be able to control it on both sides of the on both sides of the ball. You know, Ohio State. I'm not really sure what to expect from them, right? You, this Georgia team is kind of constructed the same way Michigan is. You have to believe that you know they're going to want to try to you know put bully Ohio State, push them around. But I think a lot's going to determine know how quickly they can get started. They're going to need to be able to score touchdowns and not kick field goals to have the success they're going to need in this game because it could turn into a shootout something I think Ohio State can have some success with success with but they've got to be able to not give up the big plays and turns turn people loose in the secondary which we've seen them do over the course of the season.
3: Griff uh, these quarterbacks for uh, in that first game Michigan and and TCU. Duggan is just such a bulldog for TCU. They, I think he's brought them back like six times uh, yeah. to win games this year. McCarthy is entirely different, I think. Uh, just compare these quarterbacks, McCarthy and Duggan.
5: Yeah, you know what's interesting about Duggan? I was talking to the old O line coach that was at Illinois, A.J. Richter. Uh, he's the co coordinator at. Um, the TCU, and he described him as an offensive lineman playing quarterback.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: Talks about a guy that was body on the line to all the things to to help his team win. And this is a team that you know really has just gotten behind their quarterback. And on the other side, you look at JJ, and he's had some struggles as far as the deep ball is concerned. But he's just so talented and so gifted, and um, really appreciate the way he approaches the game. He'll have to make some throws. This game's going to be on his shoulders in a lot of ways, and for him to be able to make some of those big plays, make the right decisions, particularly because he's, he's going to be playing against essentially what's going to look like to him a nickel defense as opposed to having two corners and, and two safeties with base secondary, and that's not necessarily where he's always had his most success. He's completing about 55% of passes when he, when he goes against nickel. So if he can continue to come up with big plays and I think pull the ball down and run, I think he'll have the success that they'll need to be able to pull this game out.
3: Well, I, I just uh, – you almost have to pull for, for Doug, and I pull for the Big Ten, but, man, I, yeah. what a bulldog, what a fighter he is. And, and he will run the football, and he'll do whatever it takes to, to win a game. Uh, I just wonder – you know, he was one of the finalists for the, for the Heisman, but I just mm-hmm. don't see him in the NFL. Why, why, why do I feel that? I, I just don't think he'll be a fit in the NFL. What do you think?
5: You know what, and that it's, to me, it's, it's nothing really wrong with that, right? It's nothing wrong with that. No, but I think that sometimes you know players are, are really great college players, and, and that's okay. And I think right now he'll tell you it's more important for him to win the games that he has right now in front of him than it is looking toward the the NFL. I know everybody wants to play there, but you never know oh, yeah, the type boy. of player the type of player that he is. So don't don't mind don't mind me. I'm driving with Coach DiNardo trying to find my parking <laughs> space at the stadium. So bear with me. We might have heard some uh, maybe not so flattering words. Just
6: about
2: <laughs> <problem>. <laughs> not a problem, Griff. We're going to let you go anyway. We appreciate you. <laughs> Taking time, say hi to Coach Donardo for That's us. That's right.
3: Say hello to Donardo for us. We we love listening to him too. <laughs>
5: and, yeah, he, he's he's a handful. <laughs> well have a Honestly, good guys, take
2: care. Yep, have a good broadcast right. day. Howard Griffith with us from Glendale, Arizona on Illini Line Saturday sports talk, moving towards the bottom of the hour at nine thirty, coming up after the break. We'll learn more about uh, the Bulldogs of Mississippi State with their play-by-play man, Neil Price. He'll join us after this. Stay with us.
6: Hey, Illini family. It's Illini women's basketball coach Shauna Green. Don't miss a minute of Illini basketball this season on News Talk 1400 in 93.9 FM, DWS.
2: Hello. Saturday Sports Talk continues. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate with you here on DWS. Happy to welcome to the program Neil Price, the radio voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. It's been an unusual, to say the least, month of December down in Starkville and across the state of Mississippi. Let's start with the uh, sudden passing of Mike Leach on December 12th. How have, has everything gone since that time?
6: Well, I mean, I think that it's gone as well as it can, given... A tragic situation, uh, you know, and they have somehow uh, managed to kind of keep the business of football going, and I think the administration deserves some credit for that. Uh, the players and the coaches certainly deserve credit for that. Um, you know, when, when Coach Leach uh, first became ill, uh, the administration acted quickly once they understood The severity of the situation to make Zach Arnett the interim head coach. And obviously, events turned for the worst uh, in, you know, about a 48 hour window after that. And as much as you hate to, you know, to, to move on quickly, I think that the university administration, the athletic administration here understood that. They had something special in Zach Arnett. Uh, he's only 36, but they they were committed to keeping him on the staff, as was Mike Leach. Uh, you know, they had had contract meetings within a couple weeks of of everything kind of coming unraveled, and that was the priority. You know, we want Zach to be here. And I don't know that anyone certainly thought that two, three weeks later. We'd be talking about Zach as the head coach, uh, and, and Coach Leach not being here anymore, you know, you know, just being gone. Uh, that part's been kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, but, you know, they, they've done the best they can. And, you know, I think all the players are, are motivated. They want to go and play and try to finish out the year the right way, uh, for a guy that they all had a ton of respect for and love playing for and they'll have to beat a really, really good team, good Illinois team with a really, really good defense to do it.
3: Neil, uh, this is Lauren. Uh, Is there anything special going to be done at the game to memorialize Leach in some fashion?
6: I'm sure the team will do something uh, with regard to the uniform. They've played all that really close to the vest, Mm -hmm. so I don't know exactly what it will be. I don't know if the folks at the bowl will do something specific or not. Uh, I I haven't heard anything with regard to that. We've all kind of, kind of smiled. Uh, you know, I don't know that if, if, if people, people believe in, you know, some kind of destiny or serendipity or or whatever you want to call it, but, Uh, You know, Coach Leach was one of his nicknames was the Pirate because he was fascinated with pirate culture and pirate history, and he he had a home in Key West, and obviously there was a lot of pirate activity there uh, in in the 19th century and 18th century, and um, we're playing a game in a stadium where they've got a big pirate ship in one end zone, and the cannons fire, and you've got the Jolly Roger and all that, so. Uh, I think that that will be a, a nice reminder uh, of of the guy who led the program here and got us back on solid footing uh, over these last three seasons and maybe just kind of a constant reminder for the guys on the state team while they're out there of, of who they're trying to win the game for.
2: Well, he was quite the character. What was he like to work with on a day-to-day basis?
6: Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what your experience with football coaches has been, uh, and you guys have been doing this a lot longer than I have, but my experience has always been that, that football coaches have a degree of paranoia about them. They're, 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 they're so laser focused, so worried that someone else is going to outwork them or outdo something that they're trying to do that, that they just can't relax. Um, they're always on maybe is the best way to put it. Mike Leach was not that guy. Um Mike rolled into the office about three or four o'clock every day. Uh He might stay now till three or four the next morning, but you know, most football guys, Oh, they got to be in at five in the morning. They got to stay till midnight or one o'clock, you know, because they're worried there's something that's going to be left undone. And he just wasn't that way. Didn't expect his assistants to be that way. Understood. They had families and lives outside of football and You know, for as intelligent as he was about the X's and O's of the game, he would much rather talk to you about anything other than football. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I always found that when I allowed the conversations to go down those other paths, we had a wonderful time. Um, Mm -hmm. The radio shows on Thursday night were about 10 minutes worth of football and 50 minutes worth of what everyone else wanted to talk about. (laughs) And it could be something that he saw as a kid in Cody, Wyoming, way back when it could be something he saw on television in the last week. Um, it could be what kind of sunglasses make someone look ridiculous and what kind are respectable. (laughs) I mean, it could be anything. Uh, and, and if you just let him be himself, it was wildly entertaining. Um, I've never worked with anybody like that. And I would venture to say that, you know, if I do this another 25, 30 years, I'll never work with anybody like him again. So I I think I'm incredibly fortunate that for whatever reason, my path and his intersected for a very brief time. And uh, I don't think I'll ever forget it. I really don't.
3: Uh, Did he allow you to attend practices?
6: Oh, yeah. You know, that's that's not just Coach Leach. I mean, every coach that's been at State since I've been here. And, you know, Coach Arnett, unfortunately, is going to be the fourth in about six years. Uh, But they've all – had open door policy with us and they've been great to let me kind of walk around. And I kind of keep to myself out there. Um, I have learned over the years how to watch football practice. I remember going out there the first time when I got here six years ago and it was like sensory overload because there's two or three fields going and all kinds of different groups and everybody's working on something and there's no way you can watch all of it and process it. Um, funny story about coach Leach with regard to that. You know, previous coaches here have always had security around the, the the field, you know, during practice. They've always had people to kind of keep folks from just kind of wandering in. And um, Coach Leach's first practice here in the spring of 20, I went out, and there's no security. And I was talking to our athletic director here at the time, and I said, you know, hey, John, where, where are Mac and Beth and all these people I got to know that were the security folks? I where are they at? He said, I said, Mike said he didn't need them. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, and and John said, I asked Mike, I said, well, you're not concerned about people wandering in? He goes, let them. He goes, if they get in here, odds are they're not going to understand what we're trying to do anyway.
3: (laughs) That's great. I think think he's probably the only coach like that in the country these days, but he's sure right about that. Now, he called the plays. Is that correct? He called the offensive uh, passing game, I guess. And uh, who called – who called the plays Monday?
6: So, yes. So, Coach Leach called all the plays. Um, and Steve Spurrier, Jr., who was with at, with Coach Leach uh, here for the last three years, uh, was with him at Washington State for his last two there. And if you go all the way back to the late 90s, when uh, Coach Leach went to work for Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, Coach Spurrier was there. Uh, and, of course, his dad, Steve Spurrier, was you know, fantastic college coach at Florida and South Carolina and coach Washington in the NFL. And, you know, so great pedigree. Uh, He'll call the plays uh, in the game Monday. And what coach Arnett told us is that that was always the plan. They're just following the plan, you know, that, that they had put in place in the event that coach Leach would have ever been ejected from a game or had he been ill and not able to coach what was, what was the, contingency for that and the contingency was always that coach Spurrier would call the plays on offense and Zach would call the defense and and Zach's going to continue to call the defense as the head coach and then you know coach Spurrier will will call the offense for this game to you know get through the bowl so a guy who knows the offense I mean he understands it understands what coach Leach wanted to do with it how he wanted to run it uh really closely involved So is Mason Miller for that fact, Mason's offensive line coach, and he kind of handles the run game portion of it. Coach Spurrier always handled the pass portion of it, but uh, they'll all work together, and they'll do a really good job.
2: Talking to Neil Price, the radio voice of the Bulldogs of Mississippi State University. The quarterback, Will Rogers, 3,700 yards passing, 34 touchdowns, just six interceptions, and uh, it appears to me in watching some tape that uh whoever's calling the plays, uh Mike Leach or Steve Spurrier Junior, the the quarterback gets a lot of freedom, a lot of leeway there. Is that right?
6: The quarterback does get a lot of freedom, you know, and and Will has earned more and more of that uh over the course of the last two seasons. You know, they they threw him into the fire as a freshman in the second half of twenty one and you know they were really kind of helping him along. Um, And he had a basic understanding of what Mike Leach wanted to accomplish in the air raid because Will's dad, the offensive coordinator for Brandon High School, uh, you know, about two hours south of here outside of Jackson, Mississippi, and they ran a version of the air raid and had a guy there before Will who was a pretty good quarterback named Gardner Minshew who wound up playing for uh, Washington State in 18 – uh, for one season, and of course now he's playing with the Philadelphia Eagles, but um, you know, Will had the basic concepts, and then as he learned to read defenses, learned to understand the speed of the game, he he was given the responsibility to make more decisions, and I would tell you that when, when State runs the ball, more often than not, that's not a play that's called from the sideline, that's a decision that Will Rogers has made, based on what his read is. So, you know, to say that He's up there getting them in the right play. That's that's not just coach speak. He really is doing that. Whatever success they have, especially in the run games, because Will's up there making the right check at the right time.
2: And he uses the, the receivers in a way uh, like running backs, doesn't he? He gets the ball to them quickly and lets them make uh, yardage after the catch.
6: Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of the way the air raid works. Right. You know, it's, it's to get the ball in space and, you know, a pass into the flat – is is kind of like a toss play, you know, in, in old school football where you're tossing to a running back and trying to let him get around the end. You know that that's the concept here, and they use a lot of different guys. You know, I give them credit for that, and they don't have one dominant receiver per se. They they try to get the production of one dominant guy out of two or three. I think that's kind of what they hope for to make the most out of what they've got but also to be able to keep rolling fresh guys into the game because part of what determines if the offense is successful or not is even if you know as a receiver the ball's not coming your way on a given play, you still have to run the route like it is coming your way because the idea is you're creating space. You've got to draw the defense to you to open up the space that you're trying to attack where you're ultimately going with the ball. So um, they they run a lot of guys in there. I mean, they've had eight or ten guys in that receiver rotation all season long. Now, because of some attrition, I don't think it will be quite that many in the bowl game. I think seven, probably, maybe eight. Uh, you know, you'll see on a pretty regular basis. But they'll roll them in there and and, and not afraid to put guys out there and give them a chance.
3: Well Neil I, I got what uh, that's a good rundown by the way on on your team. Uh I'd like to ask you about uh, Luke Altmeyer, who is from Starkville who's coming to Illinois next year. What can we expect from Luke Altmeyer?
6: Well Luke was a really good high school quarterback at Starkville and you know had him had him in state championship game uh you know a good kid from a good family best I can tell. Uh, I think there are a lot of people in the state fan base that were hoping That there would be a way for him to wind up here. And I think he just became a victim of a quarterback room that was really full and just not a place where they could put him on a roster where, you know, he could be a scholarship player. Uh, you know, and he was at, he was at Ole Miss last year. Uh, and you know, same kind of deal, you know, transfer portal. They've got a guy coming in from US, uh, USC who's playing quarterback. You know, he's true freshman, hard to get reps there. Uh, so you know, I think he's got plenty of talent uh, based on what what I know of him. Uh, I think he'll do well there, uh, especially with, with, with Barry Lunny. I mean Barry was a really good quarterback at Arkansas uh, won a lot of games. He understands how to coach and play the position, you know so I think that he'll benefit from that. Uh, and I hope he has success. I do. You know, I mean, there have been a lot of really good football players come out of this part of Mississippi. Uh, a lot of really good ones come out of Starkville. And you know, if if they can't have success here, you know, you want to see them go be successful somewhere. So I hope for Luke Altmeyer that's Illinois.
2: That's Neil Price, the radio voice of Mississippi State. Here's hoping to a good broadcast for you on Monday and a good football game. I think everybody connected with the University of Illinois, realizes that the rest of the country will be rooting for Mississippi State probably in this game with all the circumstances, but here's hoping to a good ballgame.
6: I think it will be a good ball game. I do, and I think the defenses, I mean, we all know Illinois has got a really good defense, but I think the defenses for both teams will control this thing a lot more maybe than people think. So uh, I'm anxious to see it and, and ready to get it started on Monday. Thank you, guys.
3: Well, Steve, back to Altmire. Um, how much of uh, the performance by the Illini offense this year was Lunny, and how much of it was Tommy DeVito? In other words, how, how much of an impact do you think Lunny had as the coordinator in developing a pretty good passing attack, I mean a high percentage passing attack?
2: Yeah, I think that was the key, the high percentage passing attack mm-hmm. because they completed close to 70% of the passes. Yeah. I, I think uh, a lot of it was on Lonnie because, you know, we didn't know a lot about Tommy DeVito. Yeah. We had to look him up when when they said uh, that uh, they got their guy last year and, and he had been benched and beaten out, and so we didn't have a lot of intel on him.
3: Well, consider that he did this without great tight end receivers. I mean, right. that's clearly obvious. Without great wide receivers. I mean, Illinois went into the season ranked at the very bottom in terms of where they, uh, you know, that position was in the Big Ten. Uh, I thought uh, I thought Hightower had a very good year. I thought Washington came on. I think, you know, they they did better than than we expected. But they still don't compare what you see at Ohio State and Michigan as far as wide receivers are concerned. Right. And I just wonder. Uh, you know, can Illinois develop that? They they did pick up a wide receiver. I'm sorry, a tight end, tight end from, yeah. um Colorado State, Tanner Arkin, who is um, is going to be moving in here as as a uh, transfer. And I know, uh, you know, with uh, Luke Ford gone and also Marce Marques is gone, so they need to bolster that tight end position. You'd like to see them be able to develop that position, and and I don't know if that's going to happen, but. Uh, I, I think that Altmaier, I think, first of all, we're going to see a, uh, some competition in the spring to see if Altmaier is really the guy, and, and you know, we've got Leary, we've got uh, Swanson here uh, on scholarship, so I think it'll be a three-man so-called battle, but I think it's pretty clear that uh, most people think that Altmaier will probably be the quarterback.
2: He's similar in size to DeVito, mm-hmm. one, not, not a real tall quarterback, but right. uh, he'll be here soon and we'll get a... Get some intelligence on him at some point.
3: Brad Sturdy told me he had a really strong arm, mm-hmm. and uh, I also uh, hear that he's a very good runner. He's got a lot of speed, so he's got the physical talents. It's just can he, uh, you know, can he bring them to bear in, in the games?
2: Moving up on 9:50, the phone line is open. We'll take a quick break and be back with more. Feel free to join us if you like on the Landy Palace Saturday Sports Talk.
6: Hey Illini family, it's Illinois women's basketball coach Shauna Green. We'll see you tomorrow at the State Farm Center. And listen in right here on News Talk 1400 in 93.9 FM.
2: We have a big game tomorrow at the State Farm Center for the Illini women. Just two losses on the year for Shauna Green's team. They take on number 12, Iowa, at 2 o'clock. And Iowa has one of the more exciting players, two players, actually.
3: Yeah, you tell me, Caitlin uh, Clark's averaging 27, huh?
2: 26.8, yeah.
3: Well, we just hope we can hold her to 27, <laughs> because I think, you know what, the, they've got more than her. That's the other thing.
2: Yeah, she comes across, it and she has unlimited range. I mean, she looks to, yeah. she's not a gunner. I mean, she's doing it within uh, what they want to do. But, yeah, she gets a lot of assists. Uh, she does. Good passer. And that would be a huge win if they could get that. And um, New Year's Day, 2 o'clock game, State Farm Center, hopefully a good crowd be on the hand.
3: Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the biggest games, uh, home games, for Illinois women's basketball in a while, in years.
2: We'd have to look this up, but uh, our producer, Dave Leak, asked the question before we went on the air. When was the last time the Illinois women's basketball team had a better record at this point than the men? It's been a while.
3: Yeah. We could find out, but I don't want to look.
2: <laughs> Interesting question, perhaps. But regardless, uh, she's done a heck of a job. Uh, did not get any votes in the AP poll, but got some votes in the coaches poll.
3: Well, you got to win some games, and and uh, you know Illinois has been down so long. And even though we act like it doesn't happen, history doesn't. It plays a part in how people vote. I sure. Mean, if if you if if you had a different team a different name on your jersey this year, and you did exactly what Illinois has done, you'd be ranked. But, you know, and, I mean, they came with, within a hair a beat, not Indiana. They had, they had led in the yeah. final minute and could have won that game very easily, and then, then you would have been ranked for, for sure. But because you lose by a couple points, <laughs> then you, you don't get ranked.
2: Well, maybe at least it got some attention and those voters will start Looking for Illinois scores, and if you knock off a number twelve team tomorrow, then more, well, yeah, more of those people. It's a do. tall
3: order, I'll tell you that. It the is. I was pretty good. They are. They've got they got the strength. They got the size in the middle too. That that hurts because Illinois it gets a lot of rebounds out of their center, but they don't get the. She's not a, a, a real dominant force in there.
2: Got a text on Tommy DeVito, being one of the biggest unknowns coming into the season last year. We kind of uh, talked about that in Think he overachieved expectations could be, but uh, that well, he on. had
3: had a season like that before, although it wasn't the previous season. Right, he had been uh, beaten out there, and here's the thing: they he had a million tackles for loss. He obviously had no protection at Syracuse. At Illinois, he had protection, and that was the difference.
2: And uh, as you know, Illinois will be having. Uh, Defensive plays called by uh, a different guy. Aaron Henry was promoted officially. It was announced just the, the other day. Yeah. But uh, Brad Bielman made it uh, clear pretty quickly. Yeah. He, he's after Ryan he's happy to have left. a
3: guy that he knows really well and he's close to and he trusts.
2: Here's uh, some comments from Aaron Henry about the promotion.
0: Obviously, everybody has the aspirations to be in this moment, to be a head coach, all that good stuff. I can remember being a GA, right, and um, and not really really knowing how to work EXOs. You know what I'm saying, and to come full circle to be in this moment, I'm in front of you guys talking about <laughs> coordinating the defense against a really good offense. By the way, um, it, it seems kind of surreal, but I am—I'm so thankful, man. I wish I could wish you could see my heart, man. It has a really big smile on. Them. I'm just so thankful and gracious, and I'm—I'm I'm, I'm forever humble. But more importantly, I'm—these um, players know how I'm wired. You know, um, they know how I operate right i'm not going to be something i'm not uh, i'm a high energy dude i love all these guys really really hard like that's who i am that is my genetic makeup and um i'm, I'm obviously going to continue to do that but take it to a new level right um obviously i don't have a position group now i have my hands around the whole defense
2: that's aaron henry the defensive coordinator for the fighting illini football team as they get set to take on mississippi state i see that line has changed a little bit uh the Bulldogs listed as a two-point favorite. Illinois, a little while back, was uh, listed as a favorite about uh, two points or a point and a half. So it's kind of flipped the other way. A lot of that uh, is on the secondary guys that won't be there, uh, oh, yeah, facing yeah. an air raid you offense.
3: Have, you have to consider that yeah. when you got the one of the best offensive passing attacks in football in all of football, and they're going against a, a two a two cornerbacks who are basically redshirt freshmen.
2: Exactly. We'll talk more about that coming up in hour number two of the show. We'll keep the phone lines open as well. Jeremy Warner will join us. And then at 1030, Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis talking some Cardinal hot stove and some Big Ten basketball as well. You know, the folks at uh, the Pella Window Store would like to help you find the perfect window or door for your home. Whether you're looking for new or replacement windows or doors, Check out the showroom at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. That's where you can see their products in person, discover the beauty of wood windows, the ease of the the between-the-glass blinds, or the durability of fiberglass entry doors. Pella has been rated by Champaign homeowners as the window brand that can improve the value of your home. And the Pella experts know all about what type of window or door works best for each unique situation. And working with them is an easy process from start to finish. They'll be there to help you along the way from the shopping part to the installation part as well. So the best idea, in my mind, is to visit the local showroom to get started. 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. That's where you'll learn more about the styles, materials, and options available to you. They're open Monday through Friday, 8 to 4. Saturdays by appointment. Check out their products online as well. Pella of Champaign com nine fifty eight wdws champaign urbana on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Hour number two of the show is coming up after this.
1: It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and FM, WDWS-Champaign-Urbana. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly.
2: Welcome back to the show, heading towards 11 o'clock here on News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We welcome in uh, Jeremy Werner. From Illini Inquirer down in Tampa. Good morning, Jeremy. How are you?
8: Doing fantastic. How are you guys doing?
2: Got a weather report for us down there?
8: Uh, it is seventy degrees right now in Tampa, but it is raining for the first time on this trip. But I cannot complain, guys, because uh, I am outdoors. Uh, it is beautiful outside, and uh, the sun has been shining for most of the trip. So I'll take a little rain today. But it did uh, it did rain on the parade, um, so they're gonna they canceled the New Year's eve parade that uh illinois band and all that we're going to take uh part in down in ybor city but uh it's been a beautiful trip so far
2: well give us a little lay of the land what have you learned uh, following the illini around for uh, the period of time this week
8: yeah it's, it's a group that's enjoying themselves but uh, i think now they're starting to hunker down and, and get ready to for business right It's kind of a well it's a vacation uh and they've certainly been wearing the, the tropical gear and all that 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 says that they've been enjoying themselves at bush gardens or the beach yesterday uh but they also want to take care of business it's a business trip uh and, and it's a team that's not full right they're, they're missing some coaches uh ryan walters and two assistants that go to purdue uh and they're missing some players three of their stars and chase brown uh sydney brown and, and of course devin witherspoon and going up against the mississippi state team that's an interesting scout you know defensively uh, they're very multiple. They're they're very versatile uh, and aggressive, uh, what Zach Arnett does defensively. And, of course, uh, any team that's been built by Mike Beach, uh they throw the ball around and it gets a secondary that's got a lot of green players, right, uh, a lot of guys that haven't played a lot of snaps. Uh, that, that's an interesting matchup. So I'm really interested to see how this one you know, goes uh, because – it's kind of a, a glimpse of the future at running back and, and defensive back. Reggie Love and, and Josh McCray probably going to get a bulk of the carries. Josh McCray is healthy. Uh, it's a pretty healthy team, otherwise, with you know Tavion Nicholson out. But um, I, I'm really interested to see how this one goes, guys, because you know these bowl games are kind of not complete teams. It seems like across the country, but uh, Mississippi State, More, and Northern Illinois is a little bit more complete. Of course, uh, obviously, the tragic loss of, of Mike Leach notwithstanding. It.
3: Well, Jeremy, uh, tell—we're probably overemphasizing this cornerback situation, but uh, tell us a little bit what you know about Strain and Scott. They'll be the starters, I believe, at corner, and and whether you think they can hold up against this passing attack.
8: The thing about um, Mississippi State and their air raid, you know, offense. Some people think that, and they think you know they throw the ball down the field a lot. No, this is a bunch of screen passes, a bunch of short passes. They are number. 131 of 131 FBS teams in yards per pass attempt. So it's a lot of short passes, uh, a lot of short passes to running backs. That means um, I I think Illinois is going to be in some some man coverage here, but they got to keep everything in front and tackle. And and that's one thing Devin Witherspoon certainly was great at. Sidney Brown certainly was great at. Um, So I I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, You know, those guys have played some snaps, though. Matthew Bailey played over 100 snaps this year. Tyler Strain. Uh, Over the last month, he's gotten some meaningful football, and he's made some big plays. He's had two interceptions during that time. uh, And then you see a guy like Xavier Scott got taken advantage of uh, against Michigan. Certainly he's tested, but you hope that pays off here. Both those guys are a little undersized. Um, I I think they'd like to have Xavier Scott at the nickel eventually, uh, but with all the injuries they have at corner, and now with Devin Witherspoon out, they have to play him out there. Uh, And Tyler Strain's undersized too. So you've seen them in recruiting you know, This month, they had a lot of corners with length, and Aaron Henry talked about how important that was for them. So they're a little undersized, and I think the most important thing for them uh, is tackling and, and to make sure they're just sounding their assignments. Like if you're in cover two, uh, just, just don't bust it, right? Like make sure you are, are living up to your assignments. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch those guys because those guys are going to be able to compete for playing time next year, but Illinois is bringing in more talent uh, to, to make sure that, you know, they're not just handing those guys the job.
3: I heard Luke Ford announced that he's going to uh, try to join, uh, go into the portal. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not the portal. He's going to go into the draft, NFL draft. Is he playing in this game? He's not. He's no okay. longer with the team. Okay, well, that's what I thought. So they're down to two tight ends, basically. Ryman and Marquez playing his final game, right?
8: Yeah, so Ryman and I'm interested to see if you get somebody like uh, Henry Boyer, a uh, freshman, to, to play a little bit in this game. You know, maybe on Cargill and Owen Anderson probably a year away uh, from making an impact. But I would imagine Tip Ryman and, and Michael Marquise get the, the bulk of the snaps. That's a good point, Lauren. Like, it would be interesting to see if one of those freshmen get more snaps and tie in with, with Luke out. Uh, Luke's certainly a good blocker, uh, and, and they, they think uh, Henry Boyer can be a really good blocker down the line.
3: Have you learned anything uh, in the last week or so relative to players who would be coming back next year or who have considered maybe not coming back? Uh, particularly, I guess, Johnny Newton is the one I'm most concerned about.
8: Yeah, Johnny Newton. Uh, Joey talked to Johnny uh, the first day we were down here, and, and Johnny said, like, he'd like to go to the NFL. I think that's the goal of his. I think a lot depends on the feedback he gets from the NFL. And nowadays, how much money can he make coming back in NIL? He made some money, and uh, name image and like this, along with Keith Randolph with the, with the law firm stuff that Brett Bielen was set up. But, like, um, I – I think Johnny has proven that he's ready for the NFL. It's just what does the NFL think of him? Like, I don't know if Johnny Newton can have a better year than he had already. It uh, just depends. If, is he a second, third-round pick? Then I think he should go, and I think he will go. Um, but if, you know, the NIL money is enough to, to bring him back and he thinks he can improve his stock enough to be, you know, first or second rounder next year, then, then maybe he considers that. But uh, personally, I, I don't know how much he can gain by coming back. Uh, but he certainly would be a huge coup for Illinois to bring him back. I think Keith Randolph, Julian Pearl, um, those guys got some big decisions to make as well. I think name, image, and likeness could be important because those guys aren't guaranteed uh, draft picks. So I think it would make sense for those guys to come back, make a little money playing college ball, and then uh, go pro and, and try and improve your stock after one more year. Um, but those are, those are the main guys um, that, that still have to announce decisions. Creek Barnes. Um, as well. But we asked those guys. Johnny said he hasn't made or announced the decision yet. He's not ready to announce until probably after the bowl game. Uh, And same goes for those other guys that that we've been able to talk to so far, including uh, Tariq Barnes. So I would imagine, Warren, we learn quickly after the bowl game because uh, January 16th is is the deadline to declare.
2: Talking to Jeremy Warner, have you seen much of a Mississippi State uh, fan presence down there yet?
8: Not quite yet. Um, You know, seen Illinois fans around the hotel. To be honest with you, we haven't gotten around downtown Tampa uh, all that much. Uh, They did have the Clearwater Beach Day, but uh, we we didn't make that trip out there, uh, so we had so much writing to do. But um, yeah, I'm interested to see. I haven't heard the Cowboys bells yet, uh, but I do hear they had the Cowboys going at the beach yesterday. So uh, I I would imagine uh, Illinois fans that made the trip are enjoying themselves. I, I think obviously the the Southwest issues Joey and I had to deal with and some other fans had to deal with, uh, getting down here might be an issue for some people, but um, yeah, I would imagine the next coming days, uh, especially with the new year today, we'll see more of them, but uh, it's been more of us media guys down here first uh, couple days of the week.
2: So, give us a little update on your trip and what you had to go through to get there.
8: <laughs> well, uh, a day before, we saw the Southwest issues, and that's my... Uh, airline that easy to go to, uh, and never got an email from them, but we got uh, I looked up my flight and it was canceled uh, about twenty four hours before we were heading out, and Joe Wagner and I decided, hey, let's just drive the entire way. So I got up at about 4.30, picked up Joey, and we got into Tampa at about twelve thirty guys. Uh, so twenty straight <laughs> hours in the car of making our way down here, but but we made it. Um, wasn't a great trip to through Chattanooga, which surprised us. Of of all the cities we were going through, that was the worst traffic. Atlanta, certainly, uh, we expected it was going to be a struggle. Nashville wasn't too bad. uh, We're going to head up the coast, the Gulf Coast, and uh, head up home through Alabama uh, on the way home. We figure we will be a little less stressful than the uh, huge traffic we got in the south.
3: Well, Jeremy, uh, you know, I'm always interested in in the future, and Altmeyer's coming in to play a quarterback. At least he's going to compete for the position. Tell us your evaluation of him and what you found out, and and what are his strengths and what are his weaknesses?
8: Yeah, I think Luke Altmeyer is a really talented player. Uh, He's just unproven uh, at this level. But I think a lot of things he does are similar to what Tommy DeVito does well. Um, You know, as a prep prospect, he's known as a very, very accurate passer. A guy who gets the ball out very quickly, and those are two things Tommy DeVito was very, very good at. And uh, Luke is a very good athlete. I actually think he's a better runner uh, than Tommy DeVito is, which was key for Illinois this year. Tommy, I think, was limited later in the year in in running, and I don't think Illinois wanted him to run uh, after suffering that that ankle injury. But uh, he certainly made plays with his feet, extended, prolonged plays. Luke Altmaier can do those things, and I do think he's got a strong enough arm uh, and he, he actually throws the deep ball, I think, better than Hudson Card, uh, the Illinois you know, other option that the Texas transfer committed to Purdue. Uh, but in his limited time, right, he's only thrown 54 passes at the college level. Most of those were in the Sugar Bowl last year when you replaced Matt Corral, uh, who's the, the star uh, for Ole Miss. Uh, and he showed himself well, but he also made some mistakes. I think his accuracy at this level needs to improve. Uh, I, I think his decision-making needs to improve, but it's such a small sample size. Tommy DeVito, you knew what kind of quarterbacks you were getting. You knew um, that that he could be a, a solid power five starter. He obviously got way better with Barry Loney. We don't know that quite with, with Luke Altmeier. Like Hudson Carr going to Purdue, he's a far more proven player. Has shown he's an accurate, good power five starter. He's going to be one of the best Big Ten West quarterbacks next year. I think Altmaier's ceiling is high, and it's great you have three years of him, but there are question marks for him. He unquestionably will be the starter at Illinois unless the spring goes terribly, which I, I do not expect because Illinois is very young at this position. Altmaier has the most experience because no other quarterback on the roster coming in uh, this spring will have um, any Division One passing experience. So I think it's a big addition. It's a potential multi-year starter, which is great. But there is unknown uh, with Luke and there's, there's unknown with the entire Illinois quarterback room. But Altmaier certainly is an upgrade. Uh, over the other options I have.
2: Let's talk a little Illinois basketball with Jeremy Werner here before we let you go. Illinois 9-4 and in the uh, first 13 ball games, heading back towards Big Ten play. Your thoughts, I guess the sun has continued to come up after that rights game. Uh, there will be the rest of the season, but your thoughts on where this team is right now? I think it's
8: team figuring it out. I think it's uh, coaching staff figuring it all out, right? Uh, we've seen the highs of this team. We've seen the lows, and I think we all kind of expected stuff like this, um, but it's it's jarring to go through, right, to actually experience a team that can beat Texas and UCLA, but also get crushed and, and not be competitive against Missouri and, and for the most part, uh, against Penn State, right? So um, I, I guess we expected ups and downs, but it has been jarring to see it. And I think Brad Underwood's figured out what how he needs to play this team, who he needs to play, uh, and right now, I, I think the givens on this team are Terrence Shannon for the most part, uh, Dame Danger, even if he's got some faults, uh, flaws, uh, and, and Sincere Harris. And then you kind of ride the roller coaster of Matthew Meyer and, and his offense, and you ride the roller coaster of freshmen, uh, and then Coleman Hawkins kind of figuring it all out. So I, I think Brad Underwood is probably realizing that he needs to go more with the Kofi Coburn approach. I, I think he came in this year not thinking that would be his style, but. You know, Dane Danger has been really good offensively, and he's really good in drop coverage. Uh, And I think Brad Underwood realized he needs to run more sets. This team uh, is not good enough or reliable enough uh, to just kind of let them trying to freewheel this offense. So, um, yeah, I think Brad Underwood's kind of going through the growing pains too of, of coaching a brand new team, but. Uh season's not over. I think it's a really talented team. I think the Big Ten is wide open right now. I think Purdue's really good um, and probably the favorite going into this thing just because you got the consistency of Zach Eady and the guards have been better. But I think this team can still be really good. I think this team is still capable of, of making the run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I just think we're going to see more growing pains and, and see where this thing goes, uh, especially going into February and March.
3: You know, when I saw him playing uh, regular man-to-man defense without a, all the uh, five-man switch the other night, I thought, this is what these players grew up at. I mean, they, it's so much easier to transition to that than to transition to something that they had never done before because not many teams switch all. And most guys are, are, are accustomed to fighting through switches and, and, you know, and you switch when you have to, but I, I just thought that the, the defense, and I know that they weren't, you know, the, Bethune-Cookman wasn't a good uh, opponent, Right. but nevertheless, I just thought that the defense, I, it looked to me like the players knew more about what they were doing.
8: It's easier, right? Uh, it's, it's less communication. Um, drop coverage is a little bit easier, but I think it's, Again, I think Brad Underwood is is figuring out, like, can he trust these guys to play? A switching defense is great when you're when you're reliable doing it, when you're communicating well. Uh, and I think it's great to have that in their bag going into the NCAA tournament because we saw how disruptive Houston and some of those teams can be when they do that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think Brad Underwood doesn't want to challenge his team to, to play a defense. But at some point, you just got to – change things up when it's not working. Uh, And Brad Underwood's done this before, right? Like every team he has had that has been successful has gone through this kind of like end of non-conference slump uh, or early conference slump and and found a way out of it with some adjustments. Like when when I would assume when Kofi, their sophomore year, right, uh, when they went on to win, what, 16 to 17 games, they switched up their offense to more ball screens uh, to to get Iowa and and Corbella going more. Uh, He has made the adjustments uh, when he needs to. Uh, to get the most out of his team, so I'm interested, Lauren, to see how that works against Northwestern, how that works with uh, uh, these Big Ten teams coming up.
3: Well, Jeremy, we're going to let you go, but I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to make you a, make a prediction here on this uh, football game Monday. Sure. I, I I'll go out on a limb. I, I think Illinois is a, a definite underdog in this game. I I see this as being a very difficult game for them. What do you think?
8: Yeah, I'm, I'm putting in my pick right now. Uh, I think Joey Wagner had Illinois winning in this one. I, I think I'm winning towards Mississippi State because uh, just, the, the, you know, the lack of experience in the secondary. Um, I, you know, the, the playing for Coach Leach um, is an interesting part of this, but, you know, Mississippi State, all their best players are playing. Uh, they did lose a, a running back who's really good, a uh, wide receiver, the leading receiver, uh, due to, you know, the transfer portal. But I, I just think the defensive secondary is going to get stressed. And Mississippi State's offense kind of takes out the pass rush, which is Illinois' strength, right? Um, if, if Johnny Newton and Seth Coleman can't take those guys out of the game with how quickly they get the ball out, uh, I think that could be trouble for, for the Illinois defense. So, uh, And then, uh, you know, the running game, I expect the offensive line to be pretty good, uh, but you're not going to have Chase Brown. So uh, this, some of the most reliable good things about the team are gone. Plus, you have the coaching changes, all those things. So, I think it'll be a competitive game. But I would give the edge to Mississippi State, and I think they're a one and a half point favorite for a reason.
3: By the way, a lot of people hitting me with the idea that uh, these uh, bowl games are going to be fading with the, with the with the playoff coming. What's your, what's your long range take on <laughs> the other bowl games? I think they make too much money.
8: I, I, I don't <laughs> think they're dying. I think yeah. they make too much dang money. People are still watching them on ESPN. ESPN needs the inventory. Uh, so, uh, listen, I get it. It's different. Uh, they're, they're less important, I guess. They're, they're more exhibition games, if people want to call them that. But um, they kind of always been outside of the top couple bowls. But people still want to go to them. Teams still want to go to them. Uh, they're, they're great for, for the player experience. They're great for you know recruiting, uh, all those things. And fans still want to go to them. And fans still want to watch them, most importantly. It's a TV product and uh, the TV money is is too good. So I don't see them going away, but maybe I'm
3: wrong. Well, I kind of agree with you. Hey,
2: Jeremy, thanks. We appreciate your time as always.
8: Anytime.
3: Thanks, sir. Thanks, Jeremy.
2: Check him out at theliniteinquirer.com. He and Joey Wagner down in uh, Tampa. And if it's raining now, an hour from now it won't be. (laughs)
3: In, <laughs> That's where it is in, in Florida. Florida
2: pretty yeah. much most parts of Florida ten eighteen is the time we'll take a break phone line is open for the next uh, 10 or so minutes if you'd like to join us 217-356-9397 on Illini Pellas Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS
6: Illini family this is Brett Bielema you've got the home of Illinois football news talk 1400 and 939FM
2: 20 minutes after 10 o'clock on the last, I filled a Saturday sports talk of this calendar year with you until 11. Phone line open 217-356-9397. We have an extensive and experienced research department here <laughs> That's right. on Saturday sports talk headed by executive producer Dave Lee. And, uh, <laughs> and we learned uh, through his research, we had... We asked this question a little bit ago. Okay. In the 2007-2008 basketball season, Bruce Weber's fighting Illini were 16-19, and 19, final record. And Let Law, in her first year, was 20-15. and 15. Okay. That was the last time. Well, that's, that's
3: for the re- whole season. Exactly. You know, what the, the question was earlier, and we want to see Leak find this out. What well, was it on the January the first?
2: Well, Luke's <laughs> got some people on vacation, so I'm not sure if his whole <laughs> research team could okay. could jump on that. But uh, that that answers part of the question, at least. You you got some other I got numbers some research on your here mind
3: because there's just so much talk about these bowl games. And I there were a couple of days ago there were four SEC teams involved in bowl games. They all drew between 57,000 and 66,000. That's good attendance for bowl games. Yesterday. The, uh, the Notre Dame game drew a sellout, 67,000. The Tennessee-Clemson game drew 64,000. Now, Maryland and North Carolina State drew only 37,000, and the Pitt-UCLA game, 41,000. Previously, Texas and Washington drew 62,000. Oklahoma-Florida State drew 61,000. Now, the game at Yankee Stadium, the Pinstripe Bowl, that was between Minnesota and Syracuse. Minnesota won that game. There were 31,000. I don't know what they were doing out there, but I don't know why you'd want to go to a bowl game at in New York. But uh, anyway, there were 31,000 people there. And uh, so, uh, by the way, the Wisconsin-Oklahoma State game didn't draw very well in Phoenix. It just drew 23,000. But what we're seeing and what we'll see uh, today, and, and uh, well, not today because there's I'm not going to count the, the, the two playoff games you know they're going to draw, but uh, other games are drawing well enough that I can't see where the – the uh, and, and I understand that I'm picking out better teams than played a week ago. You know, those early games didn't draw, and there's no question. But nevertheless, they bring a lot of money to the communities, and uh, I, I don't see the bowl things fading, I, and, and particularly because they've got – They've got several cities standing in line right now who want to take bowls that they won't. Let, they don't want to go past forty. Chicago 41. tried to get one, didn't they? Excuse me, Chicago. Chicago bid. I don't know if they would still bid, but they did bid, and and uh, St. Louis bid also, and Dublin bid.
2: Wouldn't you love to go to a, <laughs> a game Dublin in what that or a game in Soldier Field? Oh with, man, Lake Michigan in December.
3: Oh man. Of course,
2: they may have a new stadium someday. They could take that. Uh, it that end off the list.
3: It's not going to have a top on it. <laughs> it's still going to be cold up there in December.
2: The uh, capacity at Raymond James Stadium is 65,657. I haven't heard any uh, projections on how many they expect there, but that's the most they could get. I don't think they'll hit that number, but...
3: Yeah, that might be half full. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, you, you figure if... It's just
3: different when an SEC team plays, though. Now, Mississippi State is an SEC team, and all the SEC teams have drawn well. Whether they will, I don't know.
2: Both teams are 8-4. They kind of got there in a different way. Mississippi State won three of their last four, including the Egg Bowl, which is their big game on Thanksgiving Day, which turned out to be Mike Leach's Mm -hmm. last game.
3: Yeah, 24-22, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was. Mm -hmm. And then Illinois 8-4, they won their last game against Northwestern, but had lost— three previous games to that. Speaking of the Bears, there was some word this week that Kevin Warren, Big Ten commissioner, might be on their radar as a candidate. Well, I think he is a candidate, might be a finalist even, or maybe the favorite to be the new Chicago Bears president.
3: Yeah, the work he did in rebuilding things in Minnesota uh, make him a logical candidate because the the Bears are thinking of moving to Arlington. If they really do move, it's going to be a multi-multi-multi-million-dollar operation, and and they need a multi-year project. Yeah, operation. multi-year. Right, it'll take years to to complete that. And uh, you know, I I don't know whether Jim Phillips would be interested in, in moving back from from the ACC where he's now commissioner or not, or whether the Big Ten would want him. I don't know. Uh, he was clearly the second. Uh, to, uh you know, when the job was open a couple of years ago, he he finished second. So I, I you'd think they consider him, but I, man, if I'm down there, I don't know if I want to move back into the snow.
2: Of course, you live in Charlotte. I think that's based in Charlotte. Down, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, Charlotte. Charlotte, Chicago. Chicago. Let's see, Charlotte, Chicago. <laughs> of course. He's from around here, so that could be getting back home. Yeah, that's right. And we don't know if he has an interest in that. And uh, do you have an interest? I know you're looking for some. Well, I'm thinking about something else to do. It's
3: a lot more work than I want to do. (laughs) (laughs) I would tell you this, though. I made this comment. We were talking about Josh Whitman and the possibilities that they would look at Josh because he would make a tremendous commissioner. And I hope he doesn't go because Illinois needs him here. But do you realize how much easier? and I emphasize that word, how much easier the work of a commissioner is compared to an athletic director like Josh, who is constantly on call. I mean, the commissioner, he's, he's got basically an eight-to-five job. Sure, he has to make a few trips to games and and, and make an appearance here and there, but Josh's job is, is not fair to a human being to, to have to do the things that he has to do.
2: And, and just when you consider that, add in all the – Changes over the last yeah. three or four years, even with NIL right. and the transfer right. portal, and a lot going on there. Well, and,
3: and he's got to go to a volleyball game today. He's got to go to a right. wrestling match tomorrow. He's got to travel to, you know, with a basketball team. He travels with the football team. He's, I mean, he's just involved all the time in something. Plus, the fact his his phone rings at home, and he's got to find, you know, he's got a problem, and he's got to solve it. I, I think the athletic directorship job is is one of the worst. You could possibly have, in terms of the amount of work you have to do and, and, and on call all the time. And you've got a lot of complex problems dealing with it. You know, there is a thought, there is, uh, there is thinking within the hierarchy of sports right now that the players within five years will be employees. You know what that would mean? That means that the university would be paying them. That means that would be a complete. Uh, change in the way things are run right now i don't know if that's going to happen nobody knows i mean but we've seen changes did you think nil would be here three years ago nope. did you think uh, the transfer portal would be here five years ago you think the guys just get up and go and play anywhere they want to anytime what, what do we got three thousand guys football players that are going to be in the t- transfer before it's over this year three thousand that's incredible
2: did you think when you took the job as an athletic director or any job that you'd be dealing with a pandemic on top of all no, that? No, and- no, no.
3: And the pandemic's <laughs> yeah. another thing. Yeah. Now, look, I'm, I mean, the commissioner has a, has a tough job. There's no, and that's why they're, pay, they're paid millions of dollars. But nevertheless, you don't have the crunch, time crunch on you all the time that you have as an athletic director. You just don't.
2: Well, when you got nineteen sports, think about Gene Smith at Ohio State. Ohio State. Well, they got thirty-six sports.
3: Well, the first <laughs> thing he's going to do is delegate. Exactly. I mean, you can't cover. You that can't many. be.
2: You can't be there. <laughs> Moving up on ten thirty, we'll take a break. We'll talk some baseball and basketball with Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis. After this, stay with us.
6: Hey Illini family, it's Illini women's basketball coach Shauna Green. Don't miss a minute of Illini basketball this season on News Talk 1400 in 93.9 FM,
2: DWS. Welcome back, everybody, to Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Tom Ackerman joins us from KMOX in St. Louis. Tom getting ready to do a basketball telecast today in the missouri valley tom happy new year to you
7: hey happy new year yes we are in peoria today for uic against bradley so looking forward to that and that's a one o'clock tip in the valley i had the game on thursday night southern illinois knocked off murray state on the road big road win for them and the valley's kind of crazy early on just as advertised a 12 team league now so there's a lot happening in the league and There's actually only one undefeated team at this point, and that's Indiana State. So it's gotten really interesting.
2: We'll get back to some basketball talk here in a few minutes, but let's talk some Cardinals baseball and some some hot stove baseball in general. Wilson Contreras, the new Cardinals catcher. That uh, certainly was uh, the news so far during uh, the offseason. Your thoughts on him taking over the slot held so long by Yadier Molina?
7: Yeah, first time in 20-plus years that the Cardinals have looked for a catcher uh, as a starter. Mike Matheny in 2000, Yadier Molina took over after the oh four 4 season, and they have not needed a starting catcher since then, and he's a good one. I mean, Contreras is going to be a perfect fit for this organization. He actually solves three things with one acquisition. He's a middle-of-the-order bat. You could bat him a second, actually, or fifth. He's not going to bat third or fourth. That's... Goldie and Arenado, but you could bat him in either of those two spots. He could DH if you needed him to because Andrew Kisner is very capable of handling behind the plate as a backup catcher. And then the third thing is he's a starting catcher and has done it at a high level and has handled pitching staffs for quite a while now, and not to mention he's a world champion. So it's a great fit overall, a winning personality, somebody that the Cardinals had liked for a while. I don't know that they liked playing against him, which is kind of the point. You know, he was always tough to play against, and somebody that I think Cardinals fans uh, felt like he at times was a thorn in their side. Now he's on their side, and I think that's that's kind of fun. So it's a great acquisition overall. And really, the Cardinals, in the deal that they put together, five years, about $85, $87 million, um, is – very much within their capabilities they have plenty of resources and perhaps more to spend here but it was their number one priority they had to go get him. now some Cardinals fans wanted Sean Murphy of the Oakland A's totally get that great catcher really is he's going to be for a long time he goes to the Atlanta Braves problem there is the Cardinals were not willing to give up prospects for Murphy and you could read into that one of two ways one, they felt like they could just go get Contreras and not have to worry about it, just spend the money. And you don't have to give up anything. Or the fact that they probably, if they're going to acquire a pitcher, which I believe will be our next topic, they're going to have to make a trade for that pitcher. The Cardinals are not the type of team that's just going to go throw money around for an ace or a second pitcher in your rotation type guy. They're just not going to do that. They, they don't spend massive amounts of money on a pitcher. I'm, I'm trying to recall the last time they went after a number one and threw money at him. So this uh, makes a lot of sense. Contreras is a good fit. I think he's going to really like it here, and Cardinals fans will like him.
3: I would say one thing, uh, however, Tom, that we were surrounded by Cub fans who were – very upset about Contreras leaving until he was gone. And then they say, well, he only caught 70 games for us. We had to DH him because he couldn't hold up for more than 70 games catching. What's your reaction yeah. to that?
7: <laughs> they love him. You know, Contreras, they love him when he plays for the Cubs. And then as soon as he comes to the Cardinals, well, he's an adventure behind the plate. I mean, he can't, he, he's, he can't catch, he's this, he's that. Um, I think he still has a rocket arm. I think that that's definitely the case. I think that he will be able to. They're not going to ask him to be Yadi or Molina. I mean, he's not going to manage a game. Nobody will like Yadi. He's not going to call every pitch like Yadi. But I do think he's very capable of catching. By the way, Kisner's a really good receiver and, and a really good defensive catcher, which is why they can use Contreras as a DH and why the Cubs did the same thing as they had uh, that the understanding. Um, that, you know, they could do that. They had the flexibility to do that. In Contreras' case, I think he is dedicated and he's convinced the Cardinals that he does want to catch long term and he wants to catch more than half the games. I think he wants to catch the bulk of the schedule and the Cardinals will give him every opportunity to do so. Knock on wood that he stays healthy. If he doesn't, they will have backup in Kisner to get that job done but it is a big upgrade offensively for the cards whichever way you look at it I mean Yadi was a great player for a long time but his bat just did not have the same impact that it had earlier in his career actually very early in his career it didn't then he made himself into a hitter and one of the best clutch hitters on this team um, but last year it was a liability and this year that is not going to be the case Contreras can still hit um, he can hit for power and I think he can be an impact bat in this batting order. He is not Goldschmidt and Arrieta, but that's kind of the point. He complements those two, not to mention Donovan and Edmund, and then the outfielders in Newtbar and Carlson, and maybe Tyler O'Neal can get something going here and become that impact bat that he was in 2021. And then... You know, the other bat that they're hoping for is the number one prospect in the organization and maybe the number one bat in all of minor league baseball, and that's Jordan Walker. And if he gets it going, look out. So I think they feel like Contreras just adds another great piece to their offense that they were missing. And they, if you look at their lineup right now compared to last year's lineup, it's better with Wilson and Contreras.
2: So what about the rotation? What What do you see happening there? We know some of the guys that will probably have a position there. But when you talk about uh, Jack Flaherty, what do he have, 78 innings last year? He hadn't pitched uh, nearly uh, even close to 100 innings in a while. What's your overall view of the rotation as it stands, and what do you think the Cardinals might do?
7: Well, yeah, I think if you're hoping that Jack Flaherty is going to be the ace of the staff, that's not a good formula. He has not been – pitching at that level since the back end of 2019, when he was dominant and arguably the best pitcher in baseball at that time. Since then, he has dealt with some injuries, and there is plenty of cause for concern there until you see him pitch at a high level for a long time. But he's part of this rotation as we stand right now, and I think you know the hope is always that he's going to come back, but hope only gets you so far. Uh, it's nice to have a sure thing. The rest of the rotation, you got some really good pitchers here, actually. I mean, there isn't a clear number one necessarily, but there are a lot of twos and threes. You know, I mean, you look at uh, Miles Michaelis. He is certainly somebody that can get the job done. Adam Wainwright has shown throughout his career, even at his age, that he can still pitch at a very high level. Steven Matz, when healthy, is a very capable pitcher. Jordan Montgomery is another one who has pitched at a high level and has won some huge, huge games for this Cardinals team. Um, that's five right there, not to mention Dakota Hudson, uh, who the Cardinals once saw win 15 games. Perhaps he can pick it up and get himself back and maybe speed up his delivery a little bit. The pitch clock will move that along for him uh, quite well. But there, there's a whole bunch of them right there that the Cardinals are hoping are going to deliver. And then there are some others kind of waiting in the wings, the Jake Woodfords, the Andre Pallantes, and others. Who will very much get a crack at this rotation if that need is there, and as we know, in the Cardinals' recent history, that need has been there. I mean, they, they start off with six, seven, eight pitchers, and then they end up with a hole because they deal with injuries. So they're going to have to look for somebody, um, though, here in this off season, that can jump in there and be a one or a two. With that set. I would I think the Cardinals would be a lot more comfortable. With someone at the top of that rotation, and to get that pitcher, you're going to have to trade, and you're going to have to trade talent, whether that is a top-level prospect or a major league-ready player. Fortunately for them, they have a pretty strong outfield. Um, if Tyler O'Neill is healthy, with Carlson, with Newt Bar, with Jordan Walker, uh, maybe they could add another piece or two. They also have Nolan Gorman. They also have Juan Yepes. I mean. They have a lot of bats out there. I guess my point is, if they were going to trade somebody off this Major League roster, they do have some bats that teams might be interested in. I'm not saying all those players are on the block. Some of those are are untouchable, I think. But they do have the ability to make a deal if they want to. The question is, do they want to? Um, I think that's still to be determined. I, I, I think they'll be very, very careful about trading away the Jordan Walkers, the Mason Wins, these high-level prospects, they're very queasy, I think, about uh, sending any of these prospects away because they've had some prospects get away who have become tremendous players, whether it's Sandy Alcantara or whoever. Um, so they're going to be careful about it. But if they're going to get a pitcher, a starter, and, by the way, some horsepower in the bullpen, maybe even someone to be their closer, they'll probably do it via trade. There are just aren't that many starters left on the free agent market, anyway.
3: I'm intrigued by Gorman. I thought uh, he came in, and played pretty good second base when he was there, and yet he uh, toward the end I had little confidence in him hitting. Uh, what's your take on him? I mean, he he had a great minor league career.
7: Love Gorman. I think that he if he can t- cut down on strikeouts, uh, but he'll be even better. But you know, we know a lot of players out there. Kyle Schwarber's one who strikes out a ton but then hits 46 home runs mm-hmm. I believe that Gorman can be a 40 home run hitter I think he is a unique special talent when he hits them they go a mile uh, and like you just said I'm very impressed with how he locked down uh, his ability to play the second base position he wasn't at the gold glove level of an Edmund or Donovan but he was very good very capable and By the way, the Cardinals don't have a lot of left-handed bats, and they don't have a lot of left-handed bats with that kind of pop either. So he's very highly coveted, I think, in this organization right now. Uh, We'll see what ends up happening with him. He doesn't have a starting spot at the moment. Although I do wonder aloud, and I'd like to talk to Ali Marmel and John Moselock about this because I have not brought this up to them. But I wonder if he can be taught to play second base. Can he be taught to play left field? I mean, why wouldn't he be able to play left?
4: Right.
7: I don't expect him to play center field. I don't expect him to play right necessarily, but couldn't he play left field for a little bit? I mean, if if the bats that good, don't you find a spot for him?
3: Well, he might he be the left-handed hitting DH against right-handers. Or, I think
7: or... I think right now, I think right now he's got to be considered as the top candidate as left-handed DH unless they go out and get somebody. And by the way, it is December, uh, you know, and and You know, New Year's is tomorrow and everything, but, you know, there's still a lot of time uh, for the Cardinals to go get a bat between now and the end of spring training. But as it stands right now, um, he's shown that he can hit, and he can hit for power. I think he's not just a power hitter. I do believe he's a hitter. And I think as he continues to develop uh, and grow, he'll be wiser and even better at the plate.
2: Do you think Albert Pujols will have any role with this ball club Uh Going forward?
7: I do not. I think that if he had any role with this club, it'll be as a visiting legend, Mm -hmm. kind of like the Hall of Famers do right now. And when he throws on the red jacket in five years, that role will continue. I don't see him doing anything in terms of day to day. I think that's the reason, first of all, that he's retired. And I'd say the same thing for Yachty is that the day to day grind of all the scouting and video and all of the things those players do in between games. Um, It's time for them to take a little vacation from that. That's why they're retiring. But I could see one or maybe both of them at some point in their lives, getting back into baseball in that role, but not right now. I don't see that, but Albert will still be part of the Cardinals. Make no mistake. Even if he, and he said he will honor his personal services contract with the Angels. That doesn't mean he can't come back to Bush Stadium or come back to Cardinal Spring Training or hang out with the Cardinals. I mean, there's no, like, restriction on that. It just means that he would continue to serve the Angels in the ways that they paid
2: him for. A couple of basketball notes real quick. So apparently Mizzou is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a,
3: that's what we should be asking. Well, I'm going to ask Tom. you about
2: Indiana in just a minute, but let's go with Mizzou first after They pounded Illinois. They did the same to Kentucky.
7: Yeah, so if you're an Illinois fan, let me tell you two things. One, there well, I don't have to tell you this. There's an issue going on with Illinois, and you guys know more than me, but I said it before the Missouri game that Missouri should just go out there and have fun because something's wrong with Illinois. You could see it in the Penn State game for sure. You definitely could see it in the Alabama A&M game that there was a one-point game in the second half. Something was wrong. And, you know, Missouri just needs to let them deal with the pressure and just go out there and play loose and play fast and have fun. That's exactly what they did. And the confidence was just through the roof. I mean, they're bombing threes from outside, and they're laughing and having fun and running up and down the floor. Then they did the exact same thing to Kentucky. Kentucky ranked 19th in the country, but kind of a soft 19, like not a great, tough, hard-nosed, confident Kentucky team. You could see they're not the same. And Missouri did the exact same thing. They went home. Uh, maybe the Kansas game, all the hype just was a little too much for them at first because they're such a new group of guys. Or maybe Kansas is just that good. I mean, Kansas killed Indiana, too. Kansas kills everybody. They're they a legit Final Four national championship caliber team. But anyway, Missouri did the exact same thing in Kentucky. Missouri beat Kentucky down the floor so many times, it was dizzying. At one mm. point, I thought that, they were treating missed shots like they were turnovers. I mean, Kentucky would miss a shot, boom, they would just fire it down the floor and beat them down the floor for a layup. I mean, it was like the it was like a missed shot was a steal. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And and Kentucky was flat-footed, and Missouri took full advantage of it. So, can Missouri play that way for the next twenty games? I don't know, but that's how they're going to have to play if they want to make the NCAA tournament. They're a good team. Uh, they don't have the talent of some of these other schools, but they do have talent, and they do have experience. And that does count for a lot. And I think that they showed that in both of those games against two teams that weren't ready for them. Illinois and Kentucky weren't ready for them, and and Missouri's 12-1, and and I think right now in control of their own destiny. If they want to make the NCAA tournament, I think they can. But they need to be a better-than-500 team in the SEC, which which is no picnic.
3: See? I think before the season started, we thought that maybe Indiana would be number one, maybe Michigan would be very high, with uh, and maybe uh, maybe Illinois and maybe Purdue. But I, I'm not sure about Indiana right now. What, what's what's your feeling about them?
7: Well, I feel a little bit better about them if. They're healthy, and, and right now, not having Xavier Johnson is a problem. Yeah, but not having Jalen Hood-Shafino was a real problem. Um, I've seen this team in person now three times. I thought I saw them destroy Bethune-Cookman, which Illinois did last night. I saw them in um, against North Carolina, and they were healthy and fired up, and they played. They just bullied North Carolina. I mean, they played big, physical Big Ten basketball you're not coming out of here without some bruises kind of basketball game and they looked amazing and and they fed trace jackson davis all day long then teams started to figure out do not let them feed trace jackson davis Mm -hmm. and let him go one-on-one in the interior so they started to double trace and when that happens you got to go outside and make shots the problem that indiana has is they don't have a a pure score outside trace they have Miller cop who can shoot threes. They've raised Thompson who occasionally will knock one down. They have a couple of guys like Tamar Bates who can hit a mid range shot or hit a three. Um, and, but the, the biggest and one of the best players on this team, Jalen hood, Shafino. So when he was not available for the Arizona game, they were dead. I was at the Arizona game in Vegas. That is a legit final four caliber team. And they just ate Indiana's lunch. They beat them inside. They beat them outside. They were so strong. And without hood, Shafino, they didn't have a lot of direction at the point, and when Xavier Johnson was on the bench because he got in early foul trouble, Indiana had zero direction. They had no point guards on the floor, which is a real problem. So that that's a big thing. As long as Hood Shafino, Jackson Davis, and a couple of others, Tamar Bates, Miller Cop, if they get some scorers, I think they can hang in the Big Ten and be one of the stronger teams in the Big Ten, make the tournament be a you know, four, five, six, seven seeds somewhere in there and be a strong out, a tough out, I should say, in the tournament. Um, If they don't get those things, they'll have some issues if they can't score and if they have injuries to key scorers. Without Xavier Johnson, and he's a really good scorer, that makes this even more important. The one thing I do not worry about is Indiana defensively. I think they will be very good defensively throughout the season. I I still think you're going to have a hard time scoring on them with ease. I think Kansas and, and Arizona, those losses will not hurt Indiana. They're, they're, they're outstanding teams that should be top five for the rest of the year. The loss to Rutgers, it seems like Indiana always loses to Rutgers, so I'm not really worried about that. That place is crazy. Um, now it's a matter of, can they get the job done, take care of business at Assembly Hall, do not lose there, and then steal some games on the road? And by the way, their next game is winnable, and they could steal it, and it's at Iowa, who looks awful. Um, If they could find a way to get that, that is a nice boost to the Big Ten schedule. But you know as well as I do, the Big Ten, even Purdue, is going to stumble here and there once in a while. Big Ten is a gauntlet, and it's going to be a a crazy season.
2: That's Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis. Always appreciate your time. Thanks all year long and in previous years, and hopefully in the future as well. We want to wish you a Happy New Year.
7: Gentlemen, thank you very much. You can uh, have me on anytime you want. You know that.
2: Ten fifty-two, Kalani Pella, Saturday Sports Talk. We got about uh, six or seven minutes left. Let's go to Marty. Colin, hey Marty, good morning.
8: Hey, greetings,
9: Steve. Greetings, Lord Steve. How can you have a taped interview with Tom Ackerman and not allow questions? That's just not done.
2: Yes, it is done and I'll tell you why it was done. <laughs> you couldn't come on today. Though. This is a this is a holiday for one thing, for a lot of people and then not everybody's available at the time we need them. And secondly, he's working a basketball game at this particular hour, so that's why the interview was oh, recorded man. yesterday. It is not unprecedented in this business.
9: <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I'm just giving you grief for the heck of it. Uh I wanted you to ask him uh Mosalak made a comment that he was amazed about how many teams inquired about the availability of Paul DeYoung during the off season, and I wanted you to ask him why he didn't take advantage of that,
2: <laughs> or at least yet, right? <laughs> yeah,
9: at least yet. I'm like, couldn't we? A deal would be good. Anyway, uh, great show today, and I, uh, I kind of like it's an off the wall thing for me to ask about. I'm kind of intrigued by the women's basketball team. I, I think I think the young ladies doing a pretty good job of turning the program around. What do you guys think?
3: (laughs) I think that's fairly obvious. Yeah, I mean they've got a they've got a very interesting team in that they have three players at least, maybe four that are that are playing. You know, that can can drive to the hoop and and can set up plays. I mean, they've got playmakers on the team, and, and that hasn't been the case in the past. They haven't had the the penetration and, and the um, the ability to get in and, and, and score deep. And, 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 of course, they're hitting threes at a tremendous rate. The last I checked, it was 42% for the season, and that's awfully good, although I will say a lot of those are open shots. But um, yeah. they're out shooting the men in that regard for, by quite a month. And, by the way, their free-throw shooting is way better than the men. Yeah. Way, way, way better. And the, the problem there is that the guy who got fouled eight times in the game uh, in, the, in the Illinois game against uh, Batoon Cookman is danger. And, you yeah. know, danger at the free throw line is, is you know, erratic as heck.
9: I've, I've got a strange question. Do you think by the end of the season that the women's team might have a better chance of going somewhere in an NCAA tournament than the men's team?
3: Oh, I don't have any idea. I, I don't think so, but I I I don't know. Just wondering. Yeah, I I I think the men will make it. I just
2: I just don't know. Oh yeah,
9: they'll make it. I, I this women's team is enjoyable to watch.
2: It is. Hey, Marty, I'm up against the clock. I appreciate the call. Happy New Year.
9: Yeah, tell Ackerman he's got to come on for real next time, would you? <laughs>
3: yeah. All right, we'll tell him. <laughs>
9: all
2: right. Bye bye. We'll take a break here at 10:55. You too. Back after this.
8: mike mary and his team at the Pella window and door store want to thank you for what's been an incredible year so far looking for the right window and door for your next project from replacement remodeling or new construction go see them now if you got a project later this year or into 2022 now is the time to start the conversation the Pella window and door store easy to find 1001 north country fair drive in champaign or visit them online PellaOfChampagne.com
2: got a couple of minutes left here on this edition of the show. We appreciate you listening on this New Year's Eve. We'll be back on the air with our pregame coverage on Monday for the Quest Bowl coming up against Mississippi State. Our pregame begins at 9 o'clock. Monday morning. Nothing like some Monday morning football, huh?
3: Hope we're ready at 11 o'clock to play football, because that's going to be a tough one. A Ball's going to be in the air, and it's going to be good weather, uh, good for passing.
2: Had a call off the air about the development of uh, Sky Clark, who did not play the other night. He had a bruised, Left shoulder. bruised shoulder. So we'll see if he's uh, back in the lineup, but Sincere Harris certainly didn't uh, embarrass himself in his first starting role. What do, what do you think? You think you stay with that?
3: I, you mean, do I think Underwood will stick with exactly. it? Exactly. I don't know about that. He tends to favor the lineups that. But again, Steve, uh, who starts doesn't matter. Exactly. It's a 40 minute game, and if somebody plays 25, even though he didn't start, that means to me that he's a starter.
2: You going to watch the football today?
3: Yeah, I'm going to watch Purdue right
2: now. Purdue in Kentucky in the Music City Bowl down in Nashville. Thanks to our guest today, Howard Griffith, who spoke uh, to us from Phoenix. Neil Price from Starkville, Mississippi. He's the play-by-play voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Thanks to Jeremy Warner, who is covering uh, the bowl game down in Florida. And thanks to Tom Ackerman as well. Thanks to Dave Leak, our executive producer and research department head. Mr. Tate, I'll talk to you next year sometime, if not before.
3: Maybe I will talk to you.
2: Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I I feel special that you would consider it. On Happy New Year, Steve. You bet. WDWS, Champaign Urbana. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Right here.